0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of 1 John, please. 1 John 1. Again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 1021. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you have felt like um, you've made a connection with somebody and that you didn't really know them before. Uh, maybe it's a situation where you're, you're traveling and you're visiting someone else and, and you go to church at, with your family member or whatnot and you get talking with people and all of a sudden there's, a, there's kind of like a connection there. Uh, my mom's talked about that a little bit. When she's visited here, there's a couple individuals in the church that maybe because of similar backgrounds or interests or whatever it is, but there's this kind of this, this connection that makes, that, that happens. You know, as as Christians... We are part of a, a large body, and it's something that is beautiful, it's something that is a gift, it's something that is uh, important for us to consider, and so uh, that was the reason why Cindy read the text that she read this morning, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, and, and that's actually going to be, you know, some of you have enjoyed me giving you the homework assignments throughout the work on the week, and so that's actually going to be one of the homework assignments is for you to study Romans 12 and First Corinthians 12. And this idea of being together and this idea of how all of us are part of a larger body. This is the reason why we pray for other churches. This is the reason why uh, we need to have a, a view of ministry that is larger than just the four walls of this church right here. Now we need to be active here and we need to use our giftedness primarily in the context of this local church and things like that. But this church, Memorial Baptist Church, is part of a larger body of Christ. And, and we always need to remember that because part of the, the, the means of grace that God has given to us to renew our souls or to refresh our souls or to revive our souls is something called fellowship. And we see this every time we come together here or we should experience it every time we come together. And this is the reason, one of the reasons why we come every Sunday, we come back together is for this idea of fellowship. But we also see it when we get together with other believers even if we can't speak the same language. We have a team that was just in Mexico, and um, there were some language barriers there for some of the, the people, but yet there was a kinship there. I remember when I was in Romania several years ago, I think it was 2005, uh, my wife and I uh, led a missions trip to Romania. We took uh, several teenagers uh, and some adults on this trip to Romania to minister there, and I couldn't speak a word of the language. Um, I preached. I preached. Uh, There through an interpreter, which was a a very difficult task. Um, But um, even though we couldn't speak the language, they couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak Romanian. We had a kinship. We could feel a a bond that that you just can't really explain other than Jesus of Nazareth. Our elder brother. We're part of the same family. We may not speak the same language, but we're part of the same family. And we need that. And my goal this morning, this message this morning, is to to reinforce in our thinking the need to be part of, an active part of the body of Christ. And that, when we do that, we will find refreshment. We'll find reviving for our souls. Now, in 1 John... Chapter 1 verse 1 it says this That which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes that which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life so he's talking about Jesus here The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify and proclaim to the eternal life which was with us with the Father that was made manifest to us Let me stop there and give you a little context here it's kind of difficult to understand exactly who John is writing to here in this letter. But if we piece all the data together, we're not going to take time to go through all that, but if we piece all the data together we can get a pretty good idea that he's probably writing to to believers who were starting to maybe go off a little bit. Or in what John's trying to do is he's trying to call them back to the fellowship of being in Christ. He's trying to call them back. He's trying to warn them and say, no, you, you need to stay part of this. And so if you look in book of first john several times over in the book you have this idea of fellowship or this idea of of koinonia which is the greek word for that or or this idea of bringing uh um a people together and back in the love of christ and showing the love uh to one another verse three that's which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's saying our fellowship is in Jesus. Our fellowship is in God. And we want you to be part of this. And once you are, it's going to complete our joy. We're going to have joy in our souls when we experience fellowship, is what John is saying here. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. It's this idea of koinonia. What is that? What is koinonia? Koinonia. Well, the word koinia has been translated participation, sharing, fellowship, and communion. Those are different ways that the word has been translated, and we can see that in different ways and, and throughout the scriptures. Philippians talks about participation. Philemon is uh, about sharing. Acts 2 is fellowship. And First Corinthians 10 is communion. In fact, you know that uh, a a large part of of ministry, strategy, and vision here is Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, that's koinonia, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so this is something that the early church devoted themselves to. This was something that was very important for the early church to take part in. But what does this mean? Here's a few definitions that I've come across. J.I. Packer, he says this, The definition of of fellowship or koinonia is sharing or having something in common with someone else. I think I've got these on the screen there. C.J. Mahaney in a book that he edited and John Loftus wrote this. He said, fellowship is sharing something in common on the deepest possible level of human relationship. Our experience of God himself. This idea of sharing and participating together on something at a very deep level. I like, I like what Cliff McManus says in talking about the book of Acts, Acts 2.42. He says, when the book of Acts says that the early believers were devoted to fellowship, it really means that they mutually shared their lives with each other because of their common relationship to Jesus Christ as their Savior and God as their Father. This idea of mutually sharing life together. And so that's going to be kind of the goal today is is to encourage all of us to have a life that we are sharing with others for the purpose of drawing them closer to God or pushing them closer to God and using them and using their spiritual life to help us in our pilgrimage, in our spiritual walk with God. We need to mutually share our lives together. So when we talk about fellowship, it's not just getting together together. It's encouraging one another in Christ. A few minutes ago, fellowship was taking place in this very room here. We were singing together. You were singing. I was singing. You were singing to me. You were singing to God. I was singing to God. I was singing to you. And we were encouraging one another through these rich, awesome songs that we just sang. And praise to God. I don't know about you, but my soul was ministered to. As I hear my brothers and my sisters worshiping God and encouraging me to do the same thing. Fellowship was taking place there. We were building each other up. We were investing lives. But you see, when someone stands there and doesn't sing, and I sit in the front row, so I don't know who you are, but but some of you do, okay? When you don't sing, what you're saying is, I don't want to take part in this time of fellowship. And you're missing out. You're missing out. It is so good to have our souls refreshed. And so this is one of the ways that God does that. In fact, next week we're actually going to be talking about singing and worshiping God in praise. And that's a way that revive, our souls are revived. But why is fellowship so important? Why is it that, that it seems here in, in, in John, in all of John's writings, and all the epistles, in, in his gospel, he only talks about fellowship, this word koinonia, in this text right here. Right here, this is the only time he talks about it. But there's such an emphasis on it in, and a concentrated emphasis right here. And then if you look at Paul's writings, you see an emphasis on it. So why is this so important to you? Well, see, John is hoping here in this beginning of this letter here, he's hoping to draw his readers into what he himself has come to know of the fellowship of God. He's trying to say there's something that you're missing out on because you're not being obedient to God, because you're wandering away, you're missing out on something that is crucial to your well-being. It's crucial to your spiritual life. And if you join this, if you come back, my joy is going to be complete. It's going to bring great joy to the soul. So I say this Fellowship is important because it is an indispensable tool given to us by God to revive our souls and carry us through the sin cursed life. The longer you live, the more you realize that this world is not an easy place to live in. The more we feel the effects of sin and the curse. And the more we feel how it can affect our souls, a weariness of the soul, as one author put it. So fellowship is so important. Queen E is so important because it's an indispensable tool that's given to us by God to revive our souls and carry us through this sin-cursed world. So let me make a couple observations about fellowship this morning, just two this morning, and uh, then we'll pray together. Number one, Christian fellowship is inherent to the Christian life. Christian fellowship is inherent to the Christian life. Now, from the beginning until the present day, it's not been good that man be alone. Now, ladies, before you start snickering about that, um, while your snickering has justification, okay, it's talking about mankind here. It's not good that we are alone. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And so what did he do? God gave Eve. And it wasn't good even that Adam and Eve were just as left by themselves. What God gave offspring and God gave uh, a population to the world. And God has designed for us as believers to live in a community. He hasn't designed us to be isolated. Now there are some of us who have personalities that are more prone to uh, uh, an isolated uh, uh, perception of life. Or, or it's hard for us to uh, to Uh, be around a group or whatever. Uh, Some people refer to that as uh, being an introvert. Now, I, for most of my life, I've been an extrovert. And I've had no problems being in front of people, making a fool of myself. It just, you know, stick with their strengths. That was my motto in life. And so uh, I had no problems with that. But the older I get, the older I get, I, I actually become more of an introvert. And, and it takes longer for me to, to recharge a little bit. And so I understand, I'm starting to understand, and I think God's doing this to me so I can understand you introverts better. So here's my plea. Introverts, become an extrovert so I can stop being introverted here. <laughs> but I think God is doing this to, to, to help me understand this a little bit more because I'm starting to feel this and what it's like. But the theological truth is, that we are designed to be part of a community. And we have responsibilities and roles that we must must do. And so from the beginning until this present day, it's been God's plan that we actually are involved in each other's lives. And even the most introverted person in this room, even the most isolated individualistic person in this room, would have to understand that other people poured into his or her life. That they are not where they are at in life without the input of other people in their lives. It may be one or two people, but the fact of the matter is, is that we all are dependent. Now that goes against Western mindset. That goes against American individualism to say that we are dependent. In fact, our whole lives are geared towards what? Our our whole lives are geared towards independence, are they not? I mean, let's think about this. You know, even, even children, small children, what are the first things that they want to say? Or, 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 you know, as soon as they start gaining, uh, getting a little bit older, they say, I can do it, Right? Isn't that one of the marks of of growing up is I can do that and, and they want a driver's license because that's a certain level of independence that, that they can they're not dependent upon mom or dad to take them to wherever they need to go. And then it's college, they get to they get to live away from mom and dad it's for a longer time and 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 it's amazing and then it's eye opening at the same time for most college freshmen. And then it's the idea then that they get married and, and they start living a family of themselves and they start having to to discuss things as a, as a married couple. And all through life, it's this idea of independence. We own our own home because we want independence. We want to be our own boss a lot of times. We don't, people start businesses a lot of times because they don't want to work for someone else. And again, I'm not saying any of that's necessarily wrong. I'm just saying the trajectory of our natural life is bent towards independence. Whereas we need to understand that because it is, it it positions us in a place to go against what God wants us to be. And that is to Mutually share our lives with each other. For some of you in the room, me included, it is really hard for us to ask for help. It is really hard for us to ask for help. Why is that? Well, for some of us, it's because we're, we're used to be the ones who are helping. You know, we, we get called on. And some of you, that's the position you're in in your family. If something needs to happen, people call you. And so for you to ask for help is really difficult. But let me just say, it is God's plan for all of us to be vulnerable at some point in our lives. It is God's plan for all of us to be codependent of some sort. Because this fellowship here is how we need, that God's given us this means of grace to bring us through this life. And it all goes back to God. It all goes back to our fellowship, as John here says, is in the fathers, with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. This was John's goal, that we would have this fellowship. The church is referred to as a body codependent. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, as I mentioned before, we need each other. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, the church is told to meet together and to, to spend time together more and more as we see the day of Christ coming closer and closer. As we perceive that Jesus Christ's return is even closer, then we are to be looking for more opportunities to spend time together and encourage each other and build each other up. If you read that text in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, it's not just talking about church attendance. It's talking about this idea of stirring one another up to love and good works. This is the reason why we come together. So when I come together in just one aspect again, hearing you sing, you are stirring my heart to love and good works. And when I talk with you and I I talk with uh, uh, Joe out in the lobby and he gives me a hug and he says, man, that trip was awesome and the devotions time together was awesome and everything. What does that make me do? That makes me Say, man, I need to dig into the Word some more this week. I need to spend time with, with God even more this week because clearly this last week was life-changing for him. He was sharing his life with me. He was sharing what God had done. I didn't go up to him. It wasn't this program. It wasn't like, okay, you know, now it's our scheduled time for fellowship, so please tell me what God has done in your life, and you have 30 seconds. Go. It's life-sharing life, spontaneous, living together, so this is, it's, it's been God's plan for us to need each other. Letter B, for taking notes in the outline, is this. Fellowship is a sine qua non of the Christian life. Is a sine qua non of the Christian life. What is sine qua non? It's a, it's a, it's a phrase that has the idea. It's indispensable and essential ingredient. So chocolate chips are a sine qua non ingredient of chocolate chip cookies. Okay? You can't have chocolate chip cookies with no chocolate chips, right? Then you have to substitute it for some inferior thing like oatmeal or raisins. you got to have the real deal here. So it's a sine qua non. It's an essential and indispensable ingredient for that. Well, fellowship is an essential and indispensable ingredient of the Christian life. We have to have this in order for us to thrive. If so, if you're experiencing a little bit of drudgery in your soul, if you're experiencing a little bit of of maybe despair, a little bit of discouragement, let me encourage you to surround yourself with other Christians and seek that Christian fellowship. But here's the problem. A lot of times what happens is we get into that funk spiritually where then we don't want to be around anyone else. And guess what we're doing? We're playing right into the hand of the enemy. I've been there. I've been disillusioned before. I've been discouraged before. I've gone through difficult times in ministry. I've gone through church splits. And I remember thinking one time if I never see another Christian again, I will be okay. But you know, that's not God's plan. It's not God's plan. Because part of the reason why we need to see each other and be with each other and be with uh, sinners who are, are fallen and who are flawed is that we need to see God work in their life. And maybe we need to be used by God to work in their life. See, this is the reason why John wrote his epistle here. This is the reason that he said, I want you to have this fellowship. This is this is why I'm proclaiming this to you. is so that you can have this and so that, that we can be one in Christ. The early church was devoted to fellowship, Acts 2.42. This is the reason why Jesus prayed for unity and fellowship in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Have you ever stopped to consider that? And due to time, we won't turn to the text, but if you're taking notes, write John 17 down. Because in this prayer that Jesus praying right before he goes to the cross, okay? This is his last time on earth. He is, he's wrapping the earthly ministry up and so he stops and he has prayer with the Father and I am so thankful that in God's sovereignty and God's wisdom and his kindness to us, he had John include that prayer because I get to see this passionate prayer. You get to see this passionate prayer of Jesus to the Father. You can see how he talked. In this last prayer that well one of the last prayers that we have recorded he prayed for us did you catch that he he prayed for his disciples and he says not just for them only but for all who believe and so in that moment he as he's getting ready to go to the cross as he's getting ready to pour his life out as he's getting ready to have the entire wrath of god being dumped upon him he stops and he says i'm praying for all who will follow And all who will believe, and what does he pray for? That they may have the unity that you and I, Father, have. That's what Jesus was passionate about in his final hours. So who are we then to say we don't need it? Who are we to say, well, you know, life is too busy to have this, or, or you know what, the pain is too great right now, or whatever the case may be? Who are we to say? that we don't need what God has commanded and what Jesus has prayed for. See, it's, it's an indispensable quality. It's a, it's a sine qua non of the Christian life. Letter C, fellowship brings joy. It's a means of grace. I mentioned this before in verse 4 of our text in 1 John chapter 1. He says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When we experience true fellowship, it's joy that you cannot, you cannot describe. There's a sense of unity. There's a sense of of closeness. The Puritans used to pray for one close friend. One close friend who they could be completely transparent with and completely vulnerable with. That they could say anything to and be transparent with and be honest and open with and have this deep friendship where this person would then encourage them in the Lord. I think it's a good prayer request. I think it's good that, that we long for that opportunity to share this Christian life with others. Because that's what this word koinonia means, is the idea of mutually sharing our lives together. that brings joy. In Philippians chapter 2, this is what Paul talked about there. He talked about his, our participation in the Spirit. He says, fulfill my joy. And so our souls were meant to be refreshed by each other. Paul routinely talked about this. I just put a few verses on the screen here of how that he, Paul, often talked about how that our souls were to be refreshed by each other. In Romans chapter 15, Paul was looking forward to being in Rome, and what his expressed purpose was to be refreshed by the saints there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul talked about three friends who had been refreshing his spirit, as well as the Corinthians. In first, excuse me, In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Titus was refreshed by the Corinthians. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Onesiphorus often refreshed paul paul wrote there In philemon uh, verse 7 and verse 20 he asked philemon to refresh his heart he says please refresh my soul and so paul had this idea that he had this this understanding that it was it was inherent to the christian walk it was inherent to the christian life that we are encouraged by each other and so the question comes up who is encouraging you Who do you seek encouragement from? Who are you encouraging? Who do you pray for and say, Father, help me be an encouragement to this person today? Father, would you give me creativity so I know how best to encourage this person today? Father, would you please bring an opportunity for me to show your love to this person today, this week, tomorrow? See, that's what it means to be in the body of Christ. That so we're looking out for each other. We're encouraging each other. We're loving each other. You know, when we do this, when we have that as our goal, it's amazing because all of a sudden some of the petty disagreements and things that we have, all of a sudden they seem just that, Petty. It seem like, you know what, if my goal is to refresh this person's soul, if my goal is to point them to Jesus, or my goal is to say, how can I know Christ better through this person, then all of a sudden, the fact that we disagree on some things in life, politics, or school choices, or whatever the case may be, that doesn't matter. It matters none. Because we're having the right priority, in the relation. we're using the relationship as God intended. So first... Christian fellowship is inherent to the Christian life. Secondly, this morning, and finally, Christian fellowship is intensely difficult for the Christian to maintain. If it's inherent to us, it's something that we we have to have. We also need to know it's intensely difficult to maintain. Why is that? Well, I offer three reasons why it's intensely difficult for us to maintain. The first is because fellowship requires commitment from more than one person. If I'm committed to fellowshipping with you and you're not committed to fellowship with me, that's going to be a pretty boring party. We, 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 got, to, we got to interact with each other. If, I, if, if you're trying to talk to me and you're trying to encourage me and I want nothing to do with you and I don't want to listen to you at all, that's, that's not going to work very well. You see, fellowship means that we both have to be working on this, or all of us need to be working on this. And so that's why this is a plea to all of us here this morning. It's for all of us, because we all have a part in this. This isn't, this isn't the job of, of, of the pastor, or the preacher, or the elders, or someone to say, okay, you need to bring fellowship to our church. No, no, no. As a church, we need to fellowship with each other. We need to work on this together. So this is a reason why it's intensely difficult to maintain, because it's not just one person here. It's it's a it's a crowd. It's a group that has to be uh, committed to this. It's dependent upon believers to be committed to holiness and other people. See, in verse, uh, 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 verse 6 here of this, of this text where we're at in First John, it says if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So when we're disobedient, when we're apart from God, it severs not just our fellowship with God, but it makes our fellowship with other believers very, very difficult. In fact, John here says that if the only way to have fellowship with one another is to walk in the light. And so this is the reason why it's difficult to maintain because it's it's all of us who need to be working towards holiness in order to maintain fellowship, which should should be a good reminder to us that we never sin in a vacuum. Our sin always has consequences on someone else, always, whether it's our children, our spouse, our family, somebody else. And remember this. If your spouse is a Christian, before they're your husband or wife, they're your brother or sister in Christ, the eternal relationship trumps the temporal relationship. And so fellowship needs to take place even between spouses. You need to view your spouse as a brother or a sister in Christ and how you're encouraging that person in the Lord. But you know what happens a lot of times for those of us who are married? Our spouses often see the worst of us. just, just, Just the other day. Just it, I had to apologize to my wife. I know that's shocking. I know. But I had, I had to apologize to my wife because she was asking me a question, simple question. I was highly irritated already. Number one, I was trying to work on a wireless printer, okay? And it was before dinner, okay? So never work on wireless technology before, while you're hungry, Okay. Okay, so, so I, I already started this problem, you know, bad. She asked me a simple question. Then I was frustrated about the issue she asked me about. So now I've got frustration upon frustration upon frustration. Okay, so I'm three levels deep here. Okay, and I responded in a very irritated way to her. And my wife responded... In an equally irritated way back. <laughs> it was a glorious moment in our marriage. <laughs> you know? And, and, and then we had to apologize to each other. And I told her, I said, sweetie, I'm sorry. It was my fault and everything. And, 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 and she said something like, you know, I should have thrown you a Twinkie first. But, uh, but anyway. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, is that she's my sister in Christ. I can never forget that. And and but yet it seems like I I responded to her that day in a way that I never would have responded to most of you. Why? Because I've got an image to keep with you guys. Some of you actually still are duped and think I'm somewhat cool. <laughs> My wife knows better. I've got no image to maintain with her. But because we have that intimate relationship, it does not afford me or give me the right to not treat her as a sister in Christ and encourage her in the Lord. You see how all this has real practical meaning to our everyday life. So fellowship requires a commitment from more than one person. So like any healthy relationship, Christian fellowship will only work when both parties are working hard at it. So that is our goal. Church, my friends, my family, let's work hard at this Christian fellowship. The second reason why I give why this is so an intensely difficult thing to maintain for Christians is that we are our own worst enemy. We are our own worst enemy. Two ways that I... And we could come up with more, but because of time, I'm just going to give you two examples of this. Number one is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is usually rooted in pride. You're kidding yourself if you think you don't need help. Everybody needs help. I mentioned this earlier. But yet we are wired. We are wired to be self-sufficient. And on, on some level, that's good. Some, we, don't, we, you know, we want our kids to grow up and we want them to move out eventually. Okay? Uh, that's, that's the goal. But... We can't carry the self-sufficiency into our spiritual lives because we can't make it on ourselves. And if we live our lives in in a self-sufficient way and we're denying fellowship opportunities, we're also denying others the opportunities to exercise their spiritual gifts and fulfill their given responsibilities. So as mentioned earlier, the church is referred to as a body. Paul explicitly states that we need each other if we're not seeking fellowship with, each other, with other believers, we are denying ourselves life-giving spiritual oxygen. It's that important to us. Not only does there's self-sufficiency that is why we're our own worst enemies, but there's self-centeredness. Some people just say, you know what, Jeremy? That's fine, but I just don't like people. They annoy me. And we all have examples where people have annoyed us. And there are days where I would agree with that. It's like, yep. You know, when God created everyone, it was an experiment. that didn't go well. (laughs) But we are God's highest creation. And God's given other people to us to minister to us. And so if we're self-centered and we just isolate ourselves and we have this individualistic idea and approach to life, it's just we're only thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about everyone else around us. And when we came together this morning, part of the reason being together is to encourage one another. Some people say, I'm not comfortable talking with others. I understand that. Life is hard. But can you imagine if no one ever invested in you? If no one ever took time to invest in your life? Where would you be? You see, God has used other people to bring you to where you are today. So you be a tool to bring other people to where God has their plan, his plan for their life. When I don't make fellowship a priority, I'm not just hurting myself. My actions affect the entire body of Christ. Now, in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, we won't take time to turn there, but in Acts 3, 19 and 20, Luke there ties repentance and refreshment together. So perhaps we need to repent of the sins of self-sufficiency and self-centeredness. If we all were to covenant together to abolish these sins, then perhaps we would experience more times of refreshment as mentioned in Acts chapter 3. But technically, we've already covenanted together to do that. When we joined the church, for those who are members of the church, when we, when, we had the, when we agreed to the church covenant, we said we would do this. We said we would abolish self-centeredness and self-sufficiency So it's more of a matter of living up to the covenant that we agreed upon already in making it for most of us. So we're our own worst enemy. It's intensely difficult because it takes more than just one person to establish fellowship. But finally this morning, I want to share this. Here's the reason why it's intensely difficult. We have an enemy who is literally hell-bent on disrupting fellowship. We have an enemy that is literally hell-bent on disrupting fellowship. That's his goal here, is to disrupt fellowship. And how does he do this? Three ways. Distraction is one. He distracts us. We're too busy. We're too busy with work. We're too busy with life circumstances. We're too busy with all sorts of things. And so we cannot take time for fellowship as we should. We cannot invest in the lives of each other like we ought to because we're just too busy. So distraction a lot of times. The tyranny of the urgent. We're so focused on our immediate family's needs that we don't have time to invest in anyone else. And again, should we invest in our immediate family? Absolutely, of course. But we need to have a broader view of... Of who we're investing in. And so one of the ways that Satan is uh, opposing and tries to disrupt fellowship is distraction. We are intensely distracted people. The other day, my wife and I were having dinner together, um, we were able to uh, a babysitter offered to watch our kids for us and uh, so they said do you want me to watch your kids for you so you and your wife can go out to dinner and I think the kids were there within 10 minutes <laughs> but um, you know we said absolutely and so we so and, uh, Anuk and I went to Benvenidos uh, for dinner the other night and so we're, we're there and, and we're, we're, we're talking and then I see a couple sit down next to us over here and I look over at them and, and I just kind of smiled and it looks it was so funny I said well, look over there and so she looks Over there, and both of them are on their phones texting somebody. And the waiter comes and is talking, and and they're like, uh, and I mean, they're intensely distracted. And and I smiled because my wife has brought that same sin to my attention in the past, and uh, we try now to 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 put things away and just actually look across the table at each other. We live in a world that we're just intensely distracted, buzzers and alerts and everything are going off all the time. That's part of the strategy. Keep us distracted. Keep us distracted. Another way that, that he um, disrupts unity is not just uh, distraction, but division, is that he, he, he uh, bitterness, he, uh, he stokes the fire uh, uh, of the roots of bitterness. Uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen says that roots of bitterness cause trouble. Um, some of us are going through intensely difficult times, and, and we need to make sure that, that we allow God to heal us through those things. Then there's times where people have disagreements with other Christians and, and they can't get along. I'm sadly amazed at the number of Christian people who refuse to seek true reconciliation with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ died, according to Ephesians, Christ died so that the wall of hostility would be broken down. That's why he died. And so, yeah, we're going to sin against each other. Yeah, we're going to do things against you. I told you when I first came two and a half years ago, look, you know, there are going to be times where I'm going to let you down. There are going to be times where I annoy you. There are going to be times where I've sinned against you. And I just ask you, please put up with me, and I will do the same with you, and everything's going to be good. We're going to encourage you. Yeah, tell me where I've sinned, and, and I will repent. And, and, and let me just ask you to do the same thing, and, and that would be wonderful. But you see, a lot of times we're just not really committed to reconciliation or working on things, and division happens in churches Talking with a couple just yesterday about joining the church. So thankful that they're considering doing that and looking forward to that. And one of the things that came out in our conversation was uh, just the, the division in churches that they've seen before. And it is sad. And church conflict and how they hate it. And I said, I, I agree with you. It happens all too often. I think a way that Satan uses division is through fear. Some people are simply afraid to get close to others. Vulnerability is one of the most intimidating propositions to any human. And here's the thing. Since fellowship is a means of grace, it's a sine qua non of the Christian life, it makes sense that the broken fellowship within the church is so painful. Have you ever noticed that? That that the division in the church is much more painful than any other relationship. I mean, when church splits happen, it's, it's intensely difficult. I went through that. I went through a church split several years ago, and, and, and the wounds go deeper than, than, than anything I've ever experienced before. And here's the reason why, I think, is because Christian fellowship is it's in our DNA. It's a means of grace. And so when that's broken, it's very painful. Because what God has intended for our growth, encouragement, and health has been tainted by sin. Intuitively, we recognize that something important to our spiritual well-being is being messed with. Fear causes us to build shells and walls and callousness. Faith causes us to be vulnerable because we know that the one day we will experience true fellowship in Christ. I shared this prayer request with someone recently. I said, you know, I, uh, you know being a leader, you've got to have thick skin, and I'm okay with that. Uh, you've got to deal with complaints. You've got to deal with criticism, things like that. Here's the thing. But here's what I need you to pray for me on. I never want thick skin to turn into callousness. Or a wall that build up around me. It's a a hard path to to walk. So if you want to pray for me, you can pray for me on that. Um, This is how Satan just just disrupts fellowship division. But lastly, here's how Satan does this. Through deception. And um, let me give you two examples of this. Um, Peter is the first one. Now, there's things about Peter that when we read Peter's life, we read some things about him that um, are intriguing. Uh, first of all, um, Peter uh, was someone who was not afraid to speak up, right? Now, he, um, Jesus one time is telling the disciples that he, uh, uh, he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside, and I've shared this with you before, you've read it before possibly, and he starts to rebuke Jesus and he says, look, this can't happen. This can't happen. And so he actually says, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen essentially. Now Jesus, the way he responds to him, he says, get behind me, Satan. That's harsh. That's harsh. I've shared with you before. I've been called a lot of things in my time, but no one's ever said, hey, Satan, tone it down a bit. Okay. Why did he do that? You know, it, it, later on in the garden, when, when the soldiers come and, and they go to arrest Jesus, one of the disciples, Peter, grabs a sword and hacks off the ear, Malchus's ear, of one of the soldiers. I don't know if it was because he was a really good swordsmith and he just like, you know, said back off, I'll take more off. Or if he was a really bad swordsmith and just started hacking and only got an ear. I don't know what it was, but either way, he was standing up for Jesus. Now, why did why did Peter do that? Well, why do you think it was? Do you think it was because of any other reason than a love or a passion for, for for Jesus? I think I think it was because he loved Jesus. I think it was because he didn't want to do. Uh, he didn't want Jesus to go through what Jesus said he was going to go through. So it wasn't that he was opposing God's plan and necessarily or intentionally. But that's the reason why Jesus called him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan, which means adversary. He says, you're being an adversary to my plan. This has to happen. He says, so stop being an adversary to my plan. The thing is, is that Peter with his intentions in his heart if you were to look at Peter's heart I firmly believe that it would have been good intentions and that he thought that what he was doing was actually serving Jesus and it was out of a love for Jesus and this is the reason why he was making the decisions that he was doing. This is the reason why he was taking a sword after God this is the reason why he was telling Jesus you can't go down to Jerusalem, I won't let them. Later on when Jesus says people are you're going to deny me. You're going to leave me. He says, if everyone else leaves you, I will stay with you. Peter says, I will die for you. Why was he doing it? Because he loved Jesus, but in the whole entire time. And here's the scary part. He was acting against God's plan because Satan had deceived him. How do we know that? Because later on, Jesus pulls the curtain back, and he's talking to Jesus. Excuse me, he's talking to Peter. And he says, Satan and I had a conversation. He asked for you, Peter. He asked that you would be sifted as wheat, but I've prayed for you. So we know that there was a conversation that happened where Satan said, I want Peter. I'm going to go after him. And Jesus says, you can't have him. But it is possible to be deceived by the enemy and think that we're doing the will of God while we're actually opposing the plan of God. It's scary. Another example would be Paul's uh, letter to Timothy in Second Timothy, chapter two, and verse twenty-four. It says this. I think I put it on the screen. A couple slides. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps. Perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. That's a sobering text of Scripture. Well, Paul is telling the younger pastor, he says, look, be really patient when you're correcting people because God may give them repentance. But he's talking about people who have been captured or ensnared to do the will of Satan. See, here's the reason why I believe that sometimes fellowship is disrupted in church is that people are deceived. They actually think they're doing God's plan, but they're really not. And you say, now, Jeremy, what are you getting at here? Somebody asked, how do I describe myself? They say, uh, I said, well, I'm not a bull in the china shop kind of guy. Um, that's not how I operate. But I am an elephant in the room kind of guy. Okay, so if there's an elephant in the room, we're going to talk about it. So what am I saying? What, what you know, some of you are trying to read between the lines right now. You're saying, okay, what, what, what are you saying here, you know? So if people are captured by Satan, they're deceived by Satan, that disrupts fellowship. Are you saying that every person that's left this church has been ensnared by the devil? Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that some probably have. And I'm not trying to pretend who has and who hasn't all that stuff. All I'm saying is that there are good reasons to leave a church, and I'm fine with that. But sometimes, according to Peter, according to Paul, sometimes we as Christians can think we're doing something for Jesus, and we're playing right into the hand of the enemy, and we're disrupting fellowship. So if there's something that's pulling us away from fellowship with Christians, that may be legitimate. But we should stop and be really cautious about that and get good counsel because we need to be aware of Satan's strategy here to disrupt fellowship in our congregation. I hope that makes sense. And I hope that you understand what I'm clearly trying to say there um, so that we can grow by it. Well, let me conclude by saying this. Since we know that Christian fellowship is difficult and there's opposition, we need to be very intentional about taking advantage of fellowship opportunities. So this gospel project is starting September in the Adult Discipleship Hour. Let me encourage you to be part of that. The potluck prayer and praise times, let me encourage you to be part of that. The September Sunday night, family nights where we're going to have those two extra teaching times and worship times, let me encourage you to be part of that. Uh, we're making plans and to start a men's and a women's Bible study in January. Don't underestimate the importance of table fellowship, of eating together, of being together. So the answer to the lack of fellowship is much more simplistic than we realize. Simply this, share your life with somebody. Spend time with each other. So how are you sharing your life with other Christians? Who are you intentionally trying to push towards God Please understand that when I encourage participation in the ministry here, I am doing more than just ministry management. I'm trying to equip you to develop habits that will bring refreshment and joy to your pilgrimage to eternal city in Christ. Fellowship with one another will bring joy. And that is our goal here, to to the glory of God. So if you want homework, here it is. Contact your member care initiative person. If you haven't done that, it's never too late to start. Pray for someone that you have not prayed for in a long time. Pray with someone whom you have not prayed with in a long time. Study Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 this week. So let's have our souls be refreshed by fellowship and spending time together. Let's pray. Father, ended up saying more than I had intended to, and I pray that that was spirit-led. Uh, and nothing else. Uh, Father, I do pray that we would, as a church, seek fellowship with one another and take advantage of the opportunities. May we ward off the sins and repent of the sins of self-centeredness and self-sufficiency and embrace what you have for us. If you've asked us to fellowship with with each other, it's because it's a good thing, because you will never ask us to do something that is not good. You will ask us to do things that are hard. You will ask us to do things that are difficult, but you will never ask us to do something that is not good. And we believe that about you. We believe you are sovereign. We believe you are good. And that is why we worship you without reservation. We pray that we would encourage one another to love and good works. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.